Praise the Lord, everybody. May the grace and peace of our Lord be with you today. We thank you for those that are in the studio and for those that are tuning in via technology through our uh, multiple streaming platforms. We just want to thank God for each and every one of you. We just tuning in via technology through our multiple. We thank God. Sorry about that. We had a little feedback here in the studio. Uh, we just, again, thank God for each and every one of you. Um, so there's a saying. Now, the Marine Corps will take credit for this. However, its origins are actually before the Marine Corps came up with it. And it's a saying, and anyone that's gone through Marine Corps boot camp will know this two-word phrase, complacency kills. Again, the Marine Corps is going to take credit for it. However, it is not theirs to take credit for because that actually is used in all of the branches except maybe the Air Force. That's an inside military joke. But we, we thank God for this phrase. Complacency kills. And it leads me to ask this question, am I truly saved? And I want you to think about that and put that into perspective in your own mind. Complacency kills, am I truly saved? And I've heard, you know, it's said and taught in, in the body of Christ that we have to live a certain way or do certain things to be acceptable in the sight of God. And this is what we refer to as a works-based approach to God and our faith. This statement and belief has some truth in it, but it truly misrepresents how we as believers get to the place where in these vile bodies we can live right or be in right relationship with God. Now, I understand, and I'm not saying that there is not a standard by which we uh, in Christ should live, or uh, attain our um, belief structure. But what I am saying is we have misrepresented this standard as one we must live first before coming to God and maintain this sort of checklist so that we stay in favor with God. A works approach to our faith to substantiate our restored relationship with God. This is the idea. Now, I've often heard people refer to believers as holier than thou. Thank you. Um, as believers as being holy rollers or, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole host of acronyms that really don't uh, truly express what it is to be a believer. Now, the church has presented this picture that it is full of perfect people and to be part of this perfect community, you have to be first perfect. And this is why so many people longing to find the love of Christ in the people of God only find when they engage with uh, many in the body of Christ, a spirit of rejection and a people with an attitude that everyone else is really less than. So we reject them because of their appearance. 
We reject them because of their lifestyle. We reject them because of their language. We reject them because of their heritage. We reject them because of their attitude. We simply reject them because in some disjointed, dysfunctional belief system that we have created, we think that, you know, they're not worthy to be counted as the children of the Most High God. The problem is, is that if you ask many in Christ, they will deny that what I've just said to you is even true. But if you look and examine the church, you will find that we are quick to set the standard of living for a Christian and then even quicker to point out when that Christian is not living to that standard. The question then begs to be asked, what are we supposed to do as believers? An even better question to ask then is, am I truly saved? I was watching a uh, YouTube video, uh, and I, I forget the uh, individual's name, but he was talking about the end times, and he was talking about how the Spirit of God uh, in the Word of God has been ministering, and the church has kind of misguided the message and pointed the message directly at the world when in actuality, a lot of what is being said is not directed at the world or those who have rejected Christ, but is directed at the church. And he was focusing in on the, the uh, churches in the book of Revelation. And this message uh, that God is giving to the churches because of kind of our failures. And the failures are multiple. They're at multiple levels. While we do have some good things, there are a lot of bad things that we need to get over. And it, as I was listening to him, and, and I'm not going to say I agreed with everything that he said or interpretation or theological study. And you know, I, I had some things that I would have debated with him had I had the opportunity. However, he did spur in my spirit this question to ask, am I truly saved? And the answer lies in the life of Jesus and in the life of Jesus alone. The church is an exclusive club. Let me make that forefront. Uh, and, and anyone in GMFC has heard me say this before. The church is absolutely an exclusive club. But we do not have the right to open or close the enrollment process. Nor do we, the members of this club determine what the qualifications are for membership. The church is an all-inclusive body where the enrollment fee has been paid and the power to become a member has been authored not by man, but by the indwelling of Holy Ghost in the body of members that represent the body of Christ. Now, I know that some might believe that, um, you know, in essence, then, if it's open to everybody and everyone has the opportunity to become a member, even though the club itself is exclusive and its exclusivity is representative upon the faith represented in the life of each person that is attempting membership or trying to gain membership into this uh, fantastic body that God has established, that if we... Um, are not laying forth a standard, a I to dot and a T to cross, then we are in some manner giving people license to sin. Now, the, the thing we have to first and foremost understand 
is that since we don't have the authority to level any standard for membership within the body of Christ, then we cannot make a judgment as to what people are or are not doing. And further than that, we have to understand that people are sinning right now. And those people that are sinning don't have license to sin. And they're not just doing it outside of the body that we call the church. They're also doing it in the church. Which leads me back to my original question. Am I truly saved? Has complacency in me destroyed what God has built? And we have to learn to let people be people. And, I, and, that, and for a believer, that's sometimes a very frustrating thing because if you allow it, people will get on your nerves. Even people you love, they'll get on your nerves too. And it's not as easy to separate yourself from people that you are in direct relationship with or people that you love and uh, they seem to be able to push your buttons better than most. But we have to learn still to let people be people and stop trying to make them right by our opinion uh, of a standard of living that we have determined is the qualification to be a member within the body of Christ. We have to allow the spirit of God to complete his work, not our work, but his work of sanctification that is alive, not just in those trying to come in but in each of us that are currently in the body still being sanctified or set apart to God, made right and holy, dealing with the things that God has laid before us. I, myself, as a pastor, as a preacher, cannot make any of you right. My standard cannot make any of you holy. My blood cannot wash away your sin and neither can any believer in the body of Christ do any of these things for you save Jesus Christ alone. Only the blood of Jesus will wash away the stain of sin and only the standard of Holy Ghost in you can make you holy and right. Absent the presence of Holy Ghost in your life. Now, I know that there are people that will tell you that this is uh, not the season of Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is not necessary. The work of the Holy Ghost is not existent. And they could not be farther from the truth because people that believe that are really focused on a works base. In other words, it's not Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God in me working to bring perfection in my life. It's actually me doing the work. And that's leading you down a road of devastation and destruction and separation from God. Because only Holy Ghost in you can make you holy and right. Only Holy Ghost in you is a power that is greater than any other power that would be able to usurp your desire to, to worship God. The Bible tells us that uh, the strong man in the house is the one that rules. Only Holy Ghost is stronger than the spirit of man or the spirit of uh, the, uh, the enemy that enters into the body. We have to stop condemning people for their behavior and spend some time just doing what Jesus did with us. And you know what that is? 
taking some time to just love them. I know they get on your nerves. I know that they have bad attitudes. I know they smell funny. I know they look funny. I, I, I've heard all the excuses and all the stories. I know, you know, they're disrespectful. They're not kind. They're not loving. They're not all of these things. But when I was standing in the face of Jesus in prayer, Jesus reminded me that some of these very same things that they are not, I was not, yet he took time to love me anyway. And if we are the expression of God, if we are the uh, image of Jesus in the earth, then the expectation not of us but of God is that we express him, his characteristics in our life. So then it goes back to ask the question, am I truly saved? Do I harbor ill will towards those that God has surrounded me with? Do I uh, hold ill will in my life? Have I, because of the mistreatment of others, cast others out that they now no longer hold a place within my life? Am I truly saved? Am I taking the same time with others that Jesus is taking with me? Am I loving others as Jesus loved me? I did not do, you know, what that person did. I, I, I didn't live like that person lived. I didn't act like, you know, him or her. I didn't, I didn't speak like they spoke. I, I don't have those kinds of attitudes and, and, and all the excuses that we come up with. These are all lies of the flesh that are birthed from the pride of life that you are somehow owed some level of uh, behavior from others, some standard upon which they have now not met. But I have news for you. You are not any more worthy of salvation than anyone else, and you are not any more saved than anyone else who has come to the knowledge of Christ Jesus. And I know for some, this might be a shocker, and, and for some, uh, I, I'm, you might be getting mad at me right now. But you're not really mad at me. I'll take your anger as the messenger of Christ. But in truth, your frustration is not really with me. It's with the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And the fact is that Jesus died for all of us, not just some of us. And we have our nerve to hold ill will towards others. It is not right for those that are within the body of Christ who profess salvation, who say they're going on to see God in the kingdom that is to come, that, that we would act in any manner that is non-reflective of Jesus. You see, Jesus did this when we were in our sin condition and not after we were delivered from our sin condition. He loved us. He bent over backwards for us. He reaped within his body every accusation, every attitude, every foul thing that we could throw at him. And he still loved us and went to the cross for us. So then it becomes logical to accept the fact that in our trespasses, 
Jesus found us and loved us enough to restore us to a state of holiness, not based upon works of our own, but based upon him and his finished work at Calvary. And if then we were not perfect when he found us, but perfected in him, all those that are lacking knowledge of him, they don't have the ability to become perfect because they don't have him. So stop expecting the church to be filled with saved people and go bring the church to those reeling with the sin experience so that the perfection that you have discovered in Christ Jesus can be rediscovered by those that uh, have not found him yet and, and they can enjoy the love that you have experienced in him because you have brought him. Jesus said, if you you would but lift me up he would draw all men unto himself we too often look upon the outward appearance of man which is natural and temporal rather than on the inward spirit of man which is eternal and which is born of God God looks at the heart not the action this is both good works and evil works. God, is, you know, he's concerned about the eternal things while too many of us are wasting time fooling around trying to make temporal things right. This flesh never will be perfect. This flesh never will be right. You can't make it right. All you can do is bring it under subjection of the spirit of God that's in you. The Bible tells us crucify the flesh. Why? Why must we kill the flesh daily? We must kill it because it can never be saved. And the flesh is trying to live not just in those that are outside the body of Christ, but those that are in the body of Christ, which is why so many outside the body of Christ have issue with many that are in the body of Christ because we act in the body like many of them act out of the body. God doesn't care what you've done, so neither should we. God only cares who you are. God is looking for the acceptance of his son in your life. He's looking for the acceptance of, your, of his son in your heart. The life that you now live, you live through Christ. So the old things then are what? They're passed away and yet all things become new. So the life you now live, you, you live through Jesus. Your experience apart from God has thus been repaired. You now no longer are seen by God as a sinner, but one who has been freed from sin or the power of sin through Jesus Christ. God sees his son in you. You see, if you remember the scripture, God turned his eyes from his son on the cross because Jesus took on your sin. The Bible says he didn't just wear it as a cloak, but he became sin for you. Jesus bore your sin on the cross. So the you that God could not look upon has died at Calvary, and the Jesus that God could not look upon because of your sin on the cross has been restored as God sees his son in you. What a powerful transformation has taken place. The very thing the flesh wants to hide from you. If you would, turn with me in the word of God to our foundational scripture for today's brief message. And I know some of you are laughing because I said brief. It's found in the book of Romans, the eighth chapter, 
starting at the first through the 11th verse. It should be on your screen. Just read along with me. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I want to talk about this text just for a little bit of time this morning. We open with a very powerful Statement: There is now, therefore, no condemnation. That word, no, that phrase, no condemnation, comes from the Greek phrase, auden katakrima, which means that you are not doomed or damned, but are freed from the penalty and the condemnation of the sin that was in your life. You are not judged any longer as a sinner, but are delivered from that condemnation of death and hell. You are not judged to be unrighteous, but are counted to be righteous because of the work of Christ Jesus. You shall never be condemned for sin. You shall never be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And this occurs to those who are in Christ. Then the knowledge of being in Christ has to be introduced to those who are not in Christ. Listen to what I'm saying. What has to be introduced is not the knowledge of the sin life, but the knowledge of him who has freed us from the condemnation of the sin life. It's our purpose. It's our call. It's our anointing. It's our push of God to expose the love of Jesus not the stain of sin. You are not called to condemn people because of their behavior. You have been called what is the glorious message that we have been called to send out into the world and that message is only that Jesus loves them. You are the messenger of God. The Bible tells us that all of us are ministers of God. It's your call of God to minister his grace into the world. And that ministry is the introduction of the love of Jesus and not the stain of sin. We focus on exactly what Jesus did not focus on. We spend time watching and looking and, and trying to write down everything that Jesus didn't really pay much attention to. You see... Jesus, when tried 
by the Pharisees and the Sadducees with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery didn't focus on the sin that was present and undeniable in her life. But he chose to display the power of his love. He chose to represent the power of his love. He didn't focus on what she had been caught in the middle of doing. The sin that was screaming out for acknowledgement that we so often feed into. And after Jesus bends down and writes in the sand, he asks this woman, where are your accusers? And those that have condemned you, and she replied that she did not any longer see any. And Jesus then replies to her, then neither did he condemn her and for her to go and sin no more. You see, we see a focus shifted from what man saw as sin and the need to condemn what Jesus saw and that was just the need for love and not condemnation. Man was focused on the external uh, behavior of this woman who was caught in the act of adultery rather than seeing the need that existed in her life. That was just a red flag that she needed the love of Jesus. She was looking for something she did not understand and she was trying to find it in things that could not have the power to bring it until she's brought to Jesus and she finds the very thing she's looking for, someone to embrace her and to love her. Jesus did not call us to condemn the world, but to bring the good news of the gospel to the world. Teach them the love of God and this love will motivate them not to sin. If you beat them over the head about their sin, you will never get them to stop sinning. Think about it. How many of you have ever been pulled over for speeding? Was that the last time you sped? Getting a ticket, did that really stop you from speeding the next time? Many of you know that I'm a police officer. And I remember here recently, I pulled somebody over. And they were, you know, in one of the fancy sports cars. And I said, sir, do you understand that you were doing 97 miles an hour? And he looked at me unabashedly and says, I know. He said, but look at the car. And I said, I understand the car is built to go that speed. But the law says you can't. And you have to abide by the laws that govern the safe travel of vehicles on the road. And I issued him a ticket that night. And as I gave him the ticket, he said, I understand that you're doing what you're out here to do. But I have to tell you, and I don't even know why he said this. This had to be something from the Spirit of God uh, concerning even this word that I'm giving to you today. He said, understand, receiving this ticket is not going to keep me from speeding because I'm in a machine that's built for speed. And I said, well, eventually, that's going to cause your major problems. But drive safe and have a good evening. And then I began to think and reflect upon that, 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 inter, that uh, uh, conversational interchange that we had. And I begin to recognize that this is the very thing that's going on 
between the church and the world because the church is not embracing people the way that they should. We are to teach them the love of God. And it's this love that will motivate them not to sin. There's no need to change your behavior. Jesus says to the woman, go and sin no more. Understand, I'm not preaching inclusion in the sense that we can do what we want and call it living for God. What I am teaching you as the children of God is that we are to focus on the saving grace of God and express this to the people rather than condemning them for their lifestyle because love covers all sin. Now, you must understand this this very crucial point. Only those believers who are in Christ Jesus will not be condemned. All non-believers will face condemnation for sin. A genuine believer is a person who does not, according to scripture, walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. Am I saved? How many times have I taken a genuine look at myself and debriefed myself only to discover that the things I have done were not born of the spirit, but were in actuality, in truth, born of the flesh? While at the same time I profess the scripture, the one you just read and I read to you, that tells us that Walking after the flesh is not walking after the spirit. So when I follow the deeds of the flesh, I honor the power of the flesh, which is sin. Only when I walk after the spirit do I honor the things of God. We have to understand that we, after the knowledge of God, are positioned in Christ. And we too often uh, misinterpret uh, what the words in Christ mean. What does it mean for a person to be in Christ? Well, let me try to make it as simple as I can. In the simplest of terms, to be in Christ means that your faith in Christ places you in Christ. Positionally, you are placed in all that Christ is. Christ lived and died and arose. So to be in Christ means that you have lived and died and arose in Christ. Christ is your representative, your agent, your substitute, your mediator in life and death and in resurrection. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are identified with Christ. Counted and considered to be in Christ. You now identify as Jesus and no longer identify as self. This is why the identification uh, is such a prominent thing in life. The enemy always tries to use the things of God with a twisted and evil purpose. And this is why men are identifying as women and women are identifying as men. And uh, and some are non-binary and all these nonsense things because the enemy is always trying to twist what God has done. I identify no longer as who I was before the knowledge of Christ. I now identify with and in and of Jesus Christ my Lord. Because I'm counted and considered to be in Christ. I'm reckoned and credited as in Christ. I'm seated where Christ 
is. When you believe in Christ, God places you. He positions you in Jesus. Your faith actually causes God to identify you with Christ. To count you as having lived in Christ when Christ lived upon the earth. So therefore, you are counted sinless and righteous because Christ was sinless and righteous. God sees you and he counts you as in Christ. So that means that he sees you as having died in Christ. Therefore, you never have to die. John 3 and 16. The penalty and the condemnation of his sins are already paid for in the death of Jesus. And because you are identified with Jesus, you are being found as raised in him. Therefore, you have received the new life of Christ. Just as Christ had a new life after his resurrection, then you too receive a new life. All things are passed away and behold, all things become new. To be in Christ means that your life exemplifies Christ day by day. Am I truly saved? Do I look like Jesus each and every day? A true believer lives and moves and has his being in Christ. He's in union, in unison, unified, undeniable, unbreakable from Christ Jesus. To live and walk in Christ means that we do not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. It means that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Titus 2 and 12, if you're trying to understand what it is you should be doing, am I saved or has complacency killed me? It means that we bear the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It means that we abide in Christ, that we become as connected and attached to Christ as the members of the body are connected and attached to one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. You ought to read this to understand who you are because the branch is connected to the tree and, 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 and it cannot live outside of that. John 15, 4 through 7. You have to recognize what Christ has done in you. Now the term, the law of the spirit of life means the law of the Holy Ghost the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus within the universe there is a law so important that it has become the law of Holy Ghost it is called the law of the spirit of life what is meant by this well very simply life is in Jesus Christ he said I am the way the truth and the life so life is only found in him within Jesus Christ within his very being is the spirit of life the very energy and power and being of all that is life this fact is so important that God has written it into the very law of the universe it's titled the law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus and in him alone. The spirit of life for which we long and uh, ache is available only in him. John 1 and 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. John 10 and 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have life more abundantly. 
Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? John 11, 25 through 26. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and 6. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life John 5 and 24 he that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son of God hath not life 1 John 5 and 12 if you don't get it the word is telling you that life outside of Christ doesn't exist so then comes the next critical question how does this spirit give life how does a person go about securing the spirit of life so that he may not die but live forever well the spirit gives life by freeing the believer from the power of sin which is death or from the law of sin and death you see the law of sin and death simply means the rule and reign of death over your life every man dies death rules and reigns over every man but the spirit of God frees a man from the rule and the reign of death and this is natural and uh, understandable it is common sense for it is a rule of the universe if a person has the spirit of life then he naturally does not have the spirit of sin and death he's not sinning and therefore not dying He's living righteously and therefore eternally. This is exactly what the, the spirit of life does for the believer. He frees the believer from sin and death. The law or the energy or the power that is sin and death. He frees the believer to live righteously and eternally. To live in the spirit of life or in the energy and the power of what is life. If I state this another way, the spirit of life frees the believer from both sin and death. The Holy Ghost frees the believer to live just as Christ lived. To actually carry out in this life the life of Jesus the active energy of life the, the dynamic force of being full of life and all that is Christ Jesus in giving uh, this to the believer it's the ultimate expression of Christ in us the believer actually lives in Jesus and the spirit of life, which is Christ, frees that believer from the fate that is found in sin and death. This simply means that the believer lives in consciousness of being free. He or she breathes and senses a depth of life, a richness, a fullness of life that is uh, indescribable. You can't put words to it. Uh, they, they live with the power over the pressure and the strain, the impediment and the bondages of what is this natural living, even the bondage of the law of sin and death. They live now and shall live forever. They sense this and they know this. Life to them is a spirit. It's a breath it's a consciousness of being that they've been set free through the indwelling presence of Holy Ghost the representative of Christ in them even when sin and guilt tries to set in there is a tug or a pull of Holy Ghost that draws them back 
to God. They seek repentance through the forgiveness and the removal of that guilt. 1 John 1 and 9, you ought to read it. And immediately upon asking the same power, Holy Ghost instills an instantaneous assurance of cleansing. I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. I am made whole. The spirit of life, the consciousness of living instantaneously takes up abode within me once again. We feel free again and we feel full of life again. And we're liberated again. We are functioning in the power and the freedom that is Jesus. We bubble over with all the depths of the richness and the fullness of what life is. He is full of the spirit of life. Life becomes once again a spirit, a consciousness of living. We live now and we live forever. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 2 Corinthians 3 and 17. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. We spend a lot of time trying to get uh, the gifts of the spirit rather than these things that God, we, we want to prophesy and we, we want to be anointed for this rather than these that are the most important things of God. The Bible tells us thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand and there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16 and 11. The Spirit gives life by doing what the law could not do. The law could not make man righteous because man's flesh is too weak. Too weak to keep the law. No man has ever been able to keep the law of God, not to perfection or even close to perfection. All flesh has miserably failed, come short of God's glory and law. Consequently, because of this, all flesh dies physically and spiritually. Therefore, righteousness and life just cannot come by the law. But what the law could not do, the Bible tells us the spirit is able to do. He provides righteousness and life. The Spirit gives life by Christ, condemning sin while in the flesh. The Spirit gives life by Christ, condemning sin while in the flesh. You see, Christ condemns sin in the flesh by three very important things. And I'll close today with these three things. First and foremost, Christ pointed to sin and condemned it as being evil. Understand the very fact that he never sinned points out that sin is contrary to God and to the nature of God. Christ rejected sin and by rejecting it he showed that he, that sin itself is evil that it was not to be touched that he uh, it condemned it as evil and it was unworthy of God and those in the body. Sin is never to be fooled with. Secondly, Christ secured righteousness for all of us. When he came into the world, he came with the same flesh, 
that all of us are born with. The same flesh with all of its desires, all of its passions, all of its potential for evil. However, he never sinned, not once. Therefore, he secured a perfect righteousness. And because of his righteousness uh, being perfect and ideal, it becomes the model and the pattern for which all of us are to live. It stands for and covers the unrighteousness of all of us. His perfect righteousness overcomes sin and the penalty of sin it condemns sin it's to be noted that uh, the the condemnation of sin through the flesh therefore all flesh finds its perfection and uh, the idealness of the righteousness and perfection of God only in Christ all flesh finds its power to condemn sin only in Christ Outside of Christ, your flesh will always justify sin. It will never condemn sin. The Bible says, which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? John 8, 46. For he that hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4 and 15. Am I saved or has complacency ruined me? Have I forgotten who I represent? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal seed offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 9 and 14. Read the word. It is the power of life in you. Am I saved? Lastly, Christ allowed the law of sin and death to be enacted upon him instead of upon the sinner. You see, man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the natural consequence is corruption and death. However, Jesus approached God and made two requests. First, he asked God to accept his ideal righteousness for the unrighteousness of man. Then he asked God to lay the sin of man, the death of man upon himself. He asked God to let him bear the law of sin and death for us to experience hell for us. He asked God to let him condemn sin and death in his own body upon the tree. 1 Peter 2 and 24. He was the perfect ideal man. Therefore, he could bear all the violations of the law and all the experiences of death for all mankind. God so purposed and God uh, bore this awful price of having to condemn sin and death in the death of his very own son. So sin and its power have been made powerless. Death has been conquered. And he who had the power of death has been destroyed. That is the devil. Am I saved? For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5 and 6. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and 8. 
For I delivered unto you first all of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. 1 Corinthians 15 and 3. The Bible, scripture after scripture after scripture, screams of what Christ has done for us. Christ is the power of our redemption. The demonstration of his living is the example. It's the, the blueprint for every believer who professes salvation. Am I saved or have I allowed complacency to kill me? Have I become so complacent that it's okay for me to exemplify that which is not like Christ that I can live with it that I can just sleep with it it, it it doesn't bother me I'll allow it to have power and rule over my life or will I exemplify Christ and die to myself so that Christ can live we are in the end days the time is short and while I don't say thus saith the Lord I believe from all that I know all that I've studied all that I see both in the world and in the church that I believe Jesus is coming in my lifetime I don't know if that's in the next moment I don't know if that's tomorrow I don't know if that's in five years or ten years or whatever but I believe that I will be alive when he comes just because of what I've seen and what I understand the point is this because of this I've been asking God the question am I saved when you crack the sky and the trump of the Lord sounds am I going back with you Paul said scarcely a righteous man make it in this is this is Paul the apostle Paul one who would argue is probably the most saved of all of us or have has my life exemplified who you are not and thus I've secured for myself separation eternally from you is that person is those people worth my eternity with you it's time people of God that you begin to ask yourself some real tough questions how much of the former things of you are yet living how seriously are you taking your salvation are you truly living for Christ have you truly died to yourself because no one that walks after the flesh shall see God no one that walks after the flesh shall see God people of God the time is short I'm pleading with you lay before the Lord and let go of the things of the flesh crucify them that you not be found blameful in the day when the Lord cracks the sky 
I believe that when he cracks the sky, it'll be the introduction of the tribulation and the evacuation of the church. Now, not everyone believes as I believe, but I believe that we are saved from his judgment. But I also believe that there are many in the body of Christ that because they have chosen to reject the things of Christ while saying they are of Christ will endure tribulation. And in that day they will know the mistake that they have made and then they will have a choice to make. Will I worship the Antichrist or will I die? People of God, it doesn't have to be that way for you. I would rather go with him when he comes than endure his judgment against the earth. Father, have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. Open our hearts and our minds and our spiritual eye to see our failure where we are representative of flesh rather than representative of Christ. That we would turn from the wickedness that is in us that we might walk upright before you. Letting go of the power of sin and death. And laying, basking, enjoying the power of life and peace in Christ Jesus our Lord I pray that you take this sermon today seriously that you look at it and begin to analyze your life and see where you truly are and find an answer to the question am I saved am I truly saved or am I just faking the funk has complacency destroyed me in training, they'll tell you, don't be complacent because complacency will cause you to lose your life. Not doing the things that you were trained and taught, taking things for granted will kill you. I come to you today, people of God, and I implore you, do not be complacent. And find yourself therefore outside the grace of our Lord. Because the time is short and the day is at hand. Whom will you serve? God bless you. Have an awesome Sunday. And may this sermon today stir up in you the question that you have to answer that you seek to answer that God opens up an answer for you that when you see the answer when it's not what it should be or what you would like it to be you'd be guided to change what is necessary so that in his love you can find peace and life eternal it is possible now while God has given us his grace. God bless you. This has been a production of the GMFC Studios. God bless you.